0: I'll just be up here a while, so you might get antsy. We are in the book of Jonah again, and so you can turn there uh, with me. Uh, Also, we are handing out these booklets for the entire book of Jonah. If you want to grab those, they're on the back stand, and that way you can doodle and uh, have a good time with that. Uh, But go ahead and turn to me with Jonah, chapter 2, verse 9, and I'm going to read all of chapter 3. And then we will jump in. So as you're turning there, uh, we are here in the cafeteria. And uh, it's good to be back in here and kind of remember, you know, our, the early days of, of Providence. But next week, if you come back, we will be in the gym. And uh, this will be the, kind of the culmination of our Jolna experience. Uh, we will uh, bring the kids, we'll bring Camp Redstone in, and we're going to have them on stage, and they've prepared a little bit of something for us, so you don't want to miss next week, uh, the 22nd, uh, because it will be, a, a, it'll be uh, amazing uh, to kind of wrap up uh, where we've been uh, for uh, the entire summer. Okay, so Jonah chapter 2, verse 9 and following. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to a fish, to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon dry land. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time and saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and call out against it in the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and uh, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown, Jonah Jonah says. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called out for a fast, and he put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and sat in ashes, and he issued a proclamation and published it through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may return and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Verse 10, then God saw what they did and that they turned from their evil ways. God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. This is the word of God. Let me pray for us before we jump in. Jesus, these are your words. And so allow us to marinate in them and be able to see your truths here. Now, God, allow the reading of your word to make its way into our hearts and minds so that we can't dodge it throughout the week. Allow these words uh, to penetrate our hearts so that uh, we will become to believe these words. And our belief system would actually turn into Actions. God, we believe that your word is powerful, and it is strong, and it can break down any stronghold that is in our hearts and in our minds. We pray now that the word will do the heavy lifting this morning, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. Well, if you were here last week, uh, we started, uh, we just starting to talk really, really practically about what it means to be on mission together, and uh, Ephesians 4 tells us that we need to equip the saints, with the work of the ministry. And so we came bringing to you guys five really, really practical ways in which we can engage the gospel, which is the good news of Christ Jesus, who's raised from the dead and forgiven of our sins, so that we can engage with it, so that we can see the beauty of the gospel. And so that's one part, but then also how we can then turn and proclaim it to others. And so we had five really, really practical steps. Today, I'll try to get through four. I'm a little long-winded, so hopefully we'll get all four um, all, all today, but let's go back and review uh, the first five from, from last week, and if you weren't here, I'll just kind of breeze through these, that, that way we can kind of all be on the same page together. So point number one, how to proclaim the gospel, how to absorb it, to see the beauty of it, but then also how to be an activate, so that we're actually uh, sharing this good news with others, uh, is that you must understand the main plot line of, of the Bible. All right, so you have to understand from cover to cover, there's really only one message that this entire Scripture is trying to bring to us. So if you start in Genesis, if you le- read all the way through Revelation, you're going to see kind of a storyline or a plot line. All right? Or what the, you know, the fancies call the meta-narrative, the big story of the Bible. Okay, students, if you were here last week, hint, hint, it's in verse 9 of uh, uh, chapter 2. What is the main plot line of the Bible? It is hey, not bad. Good job. Everyone give yourself a round of applause. I'm kidding. You don't have to clap for that. All right. So number two. And so, yes. Yeah, so this idea is that salvation belongs to the Lord. Where does salvation belong? All right. To the Lord. It is not ours. It was first his, and he has granted it to us. He's actually come alongside with his generosity and his kindness to give it to us. We look at Genesis. What do we do? We run from the Lord. We hide in sin and shame. But what do we see our good father do? He pursues us even in our sin, even when we were trying to run away from him. What do we see in the book of Jonah? He is trying to flee from the presence of the Lord. Three times in the first chapter, he's trying to run away from this thing. But what do we see over and over and over? We see God's pursuit. And so if salvation belongs to the Lord, not us. It's God's who who is pursuing us. What do we see in Jesus? Jesus comes and he says, I've come to seek and to save that which is lost, right? He has come to seek and to save. That's what it is. So point number one is you have to understand that this main plot line is that salvation belongs to the Lord. Number two is that we have to believe in the resurrection. We have to believe that dead things actually come to life. Right? What we see in Jonah is that he was vomited out and his feet hit what? Dry ground. Like he was in a watery grave and yet he was spit out and he was safe and he was sound. Right? And it was because of what the Lord has done for us. And this is what we see in Jesus who was buried. Right? He was in the belly of the earth for three days and upon Easter Sunday he was resurrected. And even in our own lives, we have to see this, this idea that dead things can live. Really bad habits can be turned around. The things that were lost can be found over and over and over. We have to understand this exchange that we are not built for. Or our purpose is not to live in death, but truly to live in life. That's why Jesus says, I've come to give you life and life to the full. All right, that's point number two. Number three is that you have to be equipped with God's word. The word of the Lord is always coming to Jonah. So the word is actually preceding Jonah's message. We see verse, chapter one and, and chapter three almost mimicking each other. And the thing that's the, the constant mantra is that the word of the Lord is actually preceding uh, Jonah. It's actually outpacing Jonah. So you, as proclaimers, we have to be equipped with God's word. Number four is we have to believe, and here's in uh, chapter 3, verse 1, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. If we're going to understand the good news of the gospel, if we're going to proclaim the good news of the gospel, we have to understand that the Lord is the Lord of second chances. Amen? He's the Lord of second chances. And so, yes, you've screwed up your life. We know that. It's okay. I have as well. Yes, we are in seasons of darkness and despair. We understand that, and so does the Lord. And he is not scared of your disobedience. The story of Jonah is that God reigns and rules despite our disobedience. Is that not good news? That's really, really good news, and so we are proclaiming not just pull yourself by the bootstraps, not try like the southern morality, like you have to remain acceptable uh, or, or clean yourself up before you can be acceptable to the uh, to the Lord. None of that is true. The truth is that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. We worship the Lord of second chances. And last week we said that God uses flawed people. Jonah is a mess. He's a true mess, and yet God uses him. All right, so let's keep jumping in. Let's try to get through six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. We're going to try our very, very best. Hang on. This, again, uh, I prefaced it last week. Uh, this is not necessarily preaching, this is more teaching. I apologize for that, but I do believe that it's really, really important for our church is to be equipped with these types of things. So, point number six comes from chapter three. Here we go. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, this is God talking, this great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. If you've got your Bibles, you don't mind scarring them up, or you've got the little pamphlet, circle the word message. That's kind of a key indicator of of point number six. The message that I tell you. So, verse 3, so Jonah arose, and he went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, G- Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Verse, uh, verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out. So there's a message that God gave them. Jonah is now calling out, and he says, and he, and he called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Point number six is, you have to say something. Right? I know that's really, really simple. Right? But point number six, if we're going to be proclaimers of the good news of Jesus, we're going to actually absorb it. Right, we have to say something. Also put is that to, if it is good news, it actually has to be newsworthy. Right? If it's going to be news, it's going to have to be proclaimed. There's going to have to be ambassadors or messengers or heralds that are calling out towards something They're with actual words. You have actually have to say something. Or to put it the other way is you cannot live out the gospel. Now, you've heard that before. You don't, you've heard that before. But how are you going to live out the forgiveness of sins? You can't. That's a declaration that you have been forgiven. How are you going to live out that Jesus is Lord? You can't. That is just a declaration that Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. And that's just a fact. That's just a belief system. That's a tenet of our faith. The eternity of mankind will rise and fall upon the belief system that they actually hold dear and hold on to You have to say something because our belief system is what matters. And so what we are asking people to believe in faith are facts about Jesus and what he has done for us. I think it's interesting not only that you say something, but Jonah kind of gets us off the hook in that he comes with a very, very simple message. Yet 40 days and Nineveh will be overthrown. In Hebrew, five words, right? Just five words. And he just continues to proclaim it. In 40 days, Yet yeah, 40 days, and then it will be overthrown. I mean, this is all that he, he says, but it's short and it's simple and it's pithy. But man, does it do the job, right? Uh, two weeks ago, a guy named Ludi Creche was in our space, and he was doing some evangelism training on how to share the gospel, proclaim the gospel with others. And he gave us an exercise, right? And I want to do it with you guys this morning. He says, all right, so if you've got your worship guys, I think at the bottom of the first page, you can see some lines there, right? So pick out one line, right? And try to explain the entirety of the gospel. Try to write the entirety of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. Try to fit it all on one line, Okay? So this is kind of a tweet length of the gospel. And so go ahead and try to write out everything that you know about the gospel, the good news of what the Lord has done for us, and try to fit it on one line. And no, you can't write really small. By the way, I couldn't do it either. I failed terribly. All right, so take your best shot. What's the gospel in one statement? A lot to cover, right? How'd you fit the gospel on one line? So I don't know if he's right or not, right? I don't know if he's right or not, but this was this was Lute's, and I'll just steal it and call. It from him. He says again, five words. He says, "Jesus died for my sins." There you go, right? Short, simple, declared. But what's the problem? Our sins. What's the solution? Jesus. How was that enacted? Through his death, Jesus died for my sins, and, it's, and it's, they're mine. You know, I have to own that. There's so much to pack in there. But if we're going to be proclaimers, we're going to have to have something in our back pocket to say and something that we can just not get because we can confuse it and we can, we can get too complicated. And so what is wrong with just reducing it down to a simple statement? Now, you don't have to adopt Lutie's Jesus died for my sins, but you still, the, the message is simple. You don't have to make it overcomplicated. The other thing about you have to say something is this idea is that when Jonah walks into Nineveh, he does not walk in as a revivalist, right? He doesn't come necessarily as one who's, who's, who's expecting much. He's just walking into obedience. And that's important. That when we are speaking, it is more out of a posture of obedience than, than anything, and so we, we truly, we, we want the res, results to be, you know, given credit to the Lord. And so when Jonah walks into the space, he doesn't come necessarily, you know, demanding, like, some kind of exchange. Instead, he's just walking in obedience, and he's walking with this message. Think about poor Jonah. He does not know the language, right? He's only one day's journey into this exceedingly large city, He's only seen one-third of the people or one-third of the cities. He's only been to one-third of the Sonics or whatever. And so he's just, he's just kind of making his way through, really not knowing what is going on in the hearts of men. And that's okay. We know nothing about the first day's journey other than Jonah was obedient. So Jonah went less as kind of a revivalist and more just as an obedient spokesman for the Lord. So fruitful like witness. To be a fruitful witness really is, it comes down to a heart of obedience. Will you say something? I love this little phrase here. It says, uh, "It says uh, Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' length. And Jonah calls out, and he says, yet 40 days. And verse 5 says, and the people of Nineveh believed God. And so I've got that phrase, that believed God, highlighted in my Bible because of this is that at some point, those words, yet 40 days and Nineveh will perish, and yet 40 days and, and, and Nineveh will be overthrown. At some point, those words stopped being Jonah's words and started being God's words. At some point, they stopped believing what Jonah was saying and actually gave credit to that these were God's words. When we are walking into people's lives and into a conversation about the Lord, at some point, these, are, these have to stop being human words. And really, we have to pray that they actually become supernatural words so that our words become arrows into the hearts and the consciences and the minds of the people that we're talking about. This is truly a supernatural natural endeavor. These people of Nineveh gave credit to God, not Jonah. And that's the point. This is not about you and, and, and your personality and you coming with charisma or anything like that. It's truly where you are able to engage, engage with these people. All right, so point number two. Point number two is uh, not just that you have to say something, but point number two is the realization is that God loves the city, all right? God really does love the city. Over and over, where does God tell Jonah to, uh, to go? Go to Nineveh. This is a city with a geospot. It has coordinates. We have a location. There's actually walls built around it. God knows about the city, and he loves the city. Here's what's interesting about that exchange. Is that when Jonah says that, I am Jonah, I am a Hebrew, and I worship Yahweh, the Lord of both sea and land, This idea that the God of our land is that on land there are cities and inside the cities there are people. And for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. God loves people. And if he loves people, he loves where they're concentrated. And where are they the most concentrated in cities? God loves cities because he loves people. And he loves these cities, and he loves these people, and he pursues our cities, even though our cities, even though we call them great, are not necessarily good, right? Four times in the book of Jonah, the, the city of Nineveh is called great, meaning it's large. Militarily, it's strong. Its wealth is enormous. Its influence is amazing. They can conquer any, any country that they want to. They truly are great, and yet they are not good, they're completely violent and they're pagan and they, are, they do awful and wicked things. And yet we see God wanting to pursue us or pursue cities even in their deplorable state. And so sometimes greatness, right, is not goodness. And God still pursues us, right, even in, in the thing. And so God loves the city. He really, really does. But Jonah did not. And I think that's an important kind of caveat to this, is that God is the one that's pursuing the city, not Nineveh. In fact, if you look and you read chapter 4, Jonah is pretty upset with this mission. He's been fleeing from this mission from chapter 1. And he's, 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 he sees the repentance of Nineveh in chapter 4, and he gets really upset with the Lord, and he's having like this, this verbal battle with, with the Lord. It's, it's, it's actually kind of, kind of humorous. But God loves the city so much more than Jonah does. God loves our city so much more than we do. Have we given credit or seen the city in that way? That God may be pursuing our city. That God may be looking at our city, Johnson City, and loving it in a way that he may be using you and I who may not be from here. Right? who may not even enjoy this place, who may be actually a little you know, begrudged because God has you here and you feel stuck. Whatever the reason, you know, God is asking Jonah, not necessarily to feel warm and fuzzy and, and just, you know, just exceedingly joy about the city. He's asking Jonah to be obedient, and he's being obedient because there's a God, a God of love who loves the city more than us. How has God asked you and me to be like Jonah? And to walk into places, maybe not of comfort, but out of obedience into our city. Our city is under uh, unbelievable renovation, right? right? We're going through some kind of resurgence now. Downtown is bustling and money's being poured into our city and we're getting a new, uh, you know, I-26, getting a pave, you know, getting new pavement. You know, that's amazing, right? Like, ooh, we are resurfacing our roads. It's nice, right? We're trimming up our trees. We're planting things, on, you know, landscaping on our, you know, intersections, those kinds of things. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all great and it's good, Right? Um, but our people are hurting. You know, Appalachian people, we just have kind of addictive tendencies. That's what we do. We we, we we cling on to things too much, and we hold on to this world so much. And so we're known for our moonshine, right? And that's just, that's just who we are, right? We're, we like to kind of cozy up to things that make us feel better. And so in the year 2018, maybe it's not moonshine, maybe it is, but... You know, the opioid crisis here in these mountains are just rampant. And so do we look at our city, and do we look at the hurt and the pain, and do we have our heartbreak, or do we are able to sense God's love for the people that we are in, in uh, conversations with? And so we, too, need to look and give God credit that He is pursuing our city, even when it may look like, um, like it's, it's, it, we can kind of just flush it down the toilet and be done with it. Um, the idea here is that if we're going to proclaim the gospel, if we're actually going to be messengers for God's sake, we need to first and foremost, we have to see kind of three communities, kind of these, these expanding circles. That first and foremost, your mission field is your family, the people that are closest to you, you know, these, these spouses or these nieces, these nephews, these grandparents, what, whatever, these children, Whatever your nucleus of your family, that's your first community that you are to engage. The scriptures then walk through, you know, the New Testament and tells us that we are part of a faith family. So it's not just our our nuclear family, but we are a part of a faith family. And we're to walk alongside these, these one another's that we are to love one another and we're spur one another toward loving good deeds, that we are to bear with one another. We're supposed to rejoice with one another and suffer with one another. Over and over and over, I think someone counted up, there was almost 60 of these things where we are to, to engage our faith family, our faith community. But like Jesus, who when, as soon as he called Levi, he was dining with with tax collectors and sinners in the same way that Jonah is walking along the streets of Nineveh City that he, he may not or even, even enjoy to be there. We have to engage our city. We have to enjoy the fact that there is this third space. There is this, these people that are far from Jesus and need of the message of hope. And so the fact is that God loves our city and he loves it so much more than we do. And yet he will use us as his advocates. Um, I cheated a little bit on points eight and nine. I just kind of glued them together. All right, so forgive me for cheating, but that's, that's just the way it is. Um, all right, so here we go. And so yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And here's kind of the turn or the tilt. Verse 5 says this, And the people of Nineveh believed God. Ah, They believed. It changed. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth and the greatest of them from the least of them. And the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he rose from the throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and all of his nobles. Obviously, he's been talking to a lot of folks, and we're all in agreement. And by decree of all of these types of things, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them, be, let them not feed or drink water, but let man. And beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from the fierce anger so that we may not perish. So, number eight and nine, if we're going to walk into these types of conversations with people, if we're going to understand the gospel ourselves, is we have to realize that there has to be a call for some type of decision. There has to be some kind of call for some type of response, and that response is always repent and believe. All right, so kind of the first section is that there has to be a call for, for some kind of response. And the second is throughout the scriptures, the kind of the equation of salvation is repent and believe. Turn away from yourselves and everything that you value and the things that you're clinging on to and instead to turn toward the Lord or turn toward Jesus. And this is why Jesus walks toward his disciples. You remember this, the story of the fisherman? And he's, the first thing that comes out of his mouth is, drop your nets and follow me. Stop, turn, drop, right? And 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 have your focus or have your energy turned somewhere else, mainly the, the the Lordship of Jesus. And so this call for a decision and this idea of, of faith being expressed by repentance, and, repentance and belief, it's all here, here in the scripture. So first and foremost, do you see the illumination of their sin? Like we have done. You know, evil things. We have been violent. Let's turn away from the things, your violent ways. So this, this idea is that we have to be illumined. We have to be aware of, that our hearts are wicked and we are naturally turning away from the Lord. All right, so that's, that's there. Suddenly, there's div- this divine understanding that we are away from the Lord. And we are to cl- cling to and beg for the mercy of God. The second thing you see is just this conviction. It's not just sin-centric or just this understanding of sin. That's just like a road of depression, right? So it's not just the darkness, but this, this idea that it's not just illumination of the sin, but this idea, the conviction that the sin makes us want to, as we've already looked at, believe in God. And so this expression of the conviction is this, this idea that they are now believing in God. So illumination of, of sin is actually conviction that there has to be a product of that. And then lastly is this idea of this turning. Maybe God will re- relent. This idea of repent and, and faith. This idea of turning away from your natural inclinations. This idea that you are autonomous and you make yourself dependent. or uh, You move for, away from independence and toward being dependent on him. Turn from your wicked ways and turn toward the Lord. And this idea of faith, um, I think I love this little verse here, this, this idea of verse 7. Um, I've highlighted and underlined just the, the, these two words. Who knows with a question mark? Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from the, his fierce anger. Like, who knows is not necessarily like the poster child of unbelievable faith, right? Right? Like, that's not grand faith. That's not, like, that's not something that we're like, man, this is, this is the ideal here. They, they're going like, who knows? Maybe this will work, right? That's not necessarily amazing faith. And yet, it's faith nonetheless. What does Jesus tell us? To have faith like a mustard seed. It's just this grain of not trusting in yourself anymore, but instead trusting God. Who knows? God may relent, how beautiful is that wonderful idea, is that there's illumina, illumination of sin, there's conviction, but then also this idea is that we have faith and repentance. The other thing that we need to understand about this call for a decision is the idea is that, um, that we all, we all, all right, are going to have to give an account. And I say all. We are all going to have to give an account. There's, a, there's comparison, compare and contrast throughout chapter 3. There are men, right? And then there are beasts. Everybody. Sackcloth, ashes, everybody. There's you know people from the greatest to the lowest, the least of these. Everybody, everybody. There are people, just people, right? But then there's these magistrates and the king himself. And so this, the compare and contrast is that there's this all-encompassing aspect of what this declaration is going to hit. The fact is that Just because your pedigree is great or your grandfather was a pastor, just because that you grew up in a faith family, maybe just because you're a part of this church does not make you exempt from the idea is that we are all going to be under judgment one day. And so what are you going to have faith in? Is it going to be yourself or is it going to be something greater than that? Because who knows, God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger. And verse 10 is kind of the message of the Bible, right? Just this idea. And when God saw what they did and that they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. The character of God is the character of mercy. The character of God is a character of mercy. He extends gifts to his kids that we do not deserve. We deserve judgment. We deserve punishment. We deserve just the weight of what wrath belongs to us because of our our rebellion against God. From the beginning of time, when Adam and Eve turned and ran, we then, we, Romans tells us that everything in that moment, everything changed. The relationship between man and his wife changed. The relationship between man, wife, and his creator changed. Actually, even creation itself is groaning, changed. And even in ourselves, we can lie to ourselves and blame other people, had changed. Everything on that moment, because of our sin, changed. And from that moment, we deserved adequate judgment or adequate wrath and so what's going to stand in our place what is going to abate or stop or quench or satisfy God's wrath is it going to be something that you have done is it something some kind of measuring stick that you have or is it going to be something that God has done for us we see their great repentance but in the scriptures, and especially in the New Testament, we say the thing that quenched God's wrath was sending Jesus to die on our behalf. What will ultimately abate or stop or quench or satisfy the judgment of God is God himself. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. That we were once, since, uh, once far from God, and yet he has made us near to him. The atonement of Jesus and what Jesus has done for us has quenched the wrath of God for us and we can claim it for ourselves. Salvation belongs to the Lord and the Lord has seen himself most glorious and most powerful in the person of Jesus Christ. In The person of Jesus Christ. The message of salvation is simple. Jesus died for my sins. I would wonder if Someone in here this morning may even claim that statement for themselves today. Not themselves, right? But claim that Jesus died for my sins this morning. We sang it in Christ alone, that the wrath of God has been satisfied for us. The sting of death has been removed for us. Jesus Christ is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah And they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. And the word even, I put out of the word even, the word reached the king of Nineveh. And he rose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth and, and in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and proclaimed through Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger that that we may not perish. When God saw what they had did, that they turned from their evil ways, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. This is the word of God. Let me pray for us. So Jesus, sermons are just words of men, but allow the words of God, your scripture live in our hearts forever. I pray now that as you are preparing our hearts to take of your communion table, that we would remember that we were once far from you, that we were once alien and separated from you, That we were once exiles from you. We were once nomads, sojourners, and yet you have brought us near. You have called us your children. You have adopted us. You have claimed us as righteous. You have made us one with you. You have forgiven us. You have called salvation ours. You have allowed us to to approach the throne room with, with, with might and boldness. And so, Jesus, all of these things are a gift because of what you have done for us. Help us this day believe that you are enough. Allow us this day to believe that you are more than what this world can offer. I pray now for the salvation that is in our hands, the salvation that we cling to. Maybe it's our children. Maybe it's our occupation. Maybe it's the trajectory of our lives. Maybe it's control. Whatever we cling to, whatever salvation, the thing that we believe is going to give us life, allow us to relent, to to, to let go and turn away from those things and believe that salvation belongs to the Lord, that you really are able to relent of the judgment that we deserve and allow us to have peace, allow us to have life. So I pray that this is happening in our own hearts this morning. And we ask this in your good name. Amen. If you're new to Redstone, we come to the table uh, every Sunday. And we come to the table because we need the reminder of what this table represents. Some churches have altar calls where one or two people respond to the gospel. At Redstone, we want us all to be a part of this unbelievable moment where we respond to these truths. That God, that salvation belongs to the Lord. And that we have to have faith in Him and that we deserve judgment, and yet we can have peace with God. And so verse 10 is Jesus, right? Who knows? You know, God may relent. Well, God does ultimate relent from the judgment and the wrath that he promises us by pouring it out on Jesus. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took a a loaf of bread, and he broke it, and he says, this is my body given for you. And so in this unbelievable um, metaphor he takes the thing, this bread, that was the sustenance or the stable of, of all of, you know, their, kind of their, their menu and, and their appetite and just uh, all, all the things that they look to as far, as far as sustenance. And he says, this is me. I'm now the cornerstone of, of what, what you consume. But then he goes a step further and he takes a chalice of wine. And where we kind of pour it out here, he had one chalice. And he passes it to his disciples. And he says, this is the blood, uh, this this is the new covenant, which is my blood, which is poured out, literally poured out, for the forgiveness of your sins. And so his body given for us, his blood poured out for us so that the wrath of God would not be poured onto us, but was poured out on Jesus. So when we see Jesus scream out on the cross when we see him and hear of his, him breathing his last, when we understand that he was truly dead and buried for us, this is what he's doing. He's taking the wrath of God and the wrath of God has been satisfied in Christ Jesus. He is extending that invitation to you and me. What we deserved, we now just get to partake in. So I pray that this morning that you would be able to turn from your evil ways, which is simply your idolatry of self. And you would turn to Jesus this morning, the author and finisher of your faith. So go ahead and stand. If you're new to Redstone, uh, we've got three or four uh, stations around the room where we're serving this meal to you. We would encourage you to come and partake of this meal. Uh, we often, uh, we don't take the, this meal by ourselves. Uh, you'll see us often kind of gathering in groups of two or three and, and praying. Uh, feel free to, to engage this meal however you see fit. But at this point, uh, the stations are open, and so you can partake whenever, um, whenever the Lord leads.